Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! of the internet's most dangerous Tottenham Hotspur podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. I'm your host, Greg, and we are back for another Nuno edition of Wheeler Dealer Radio. We are uh, we have a little bit of podcast business to get out of the way before we get started. Follow our Twitter account at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. And leave us a five-star review on iTunes because, you know, we really deserve better reviews on iTunes. So leave, leave a good review. Maybe we'll read it on the show. Maybe we won't. I don't know. Who knows? I'm just riffing here. Anyway, we got a lot of stuff. We don't actually have a lot of stuff to talk about tonight, but we're going to do it anyway. Joining, coming back to us from the wilds of Florida, it's Ben Daniels. Ben, how how excited are you to enter this post Euros world? Oh man, it's a uh, it's bad. It's a bad reminder that the new season is only a few weeks away. I was able to like kind of disconnect from that whole process while the Euros were going on, and now now I'm confronted with reality. Now I like it. <laughs> And as always, we have our other faithful co-host, Brian Ashlock. Brian, how are, are you excited that the Euros are over? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, now I don't have to hear about how great Gareth Southgate is ever again, and um, yeah, it'll be great. There's a and World here. Cup next do you, year. Do you not know any? Brian, I know for a fact you talk to English people every day, so it's you're true. definitely going to hear this. Yeah, and he he didn't like a lot of my Gareth Southgate opinions. Um, but, but yeah, no, I'm sure that we'll get to hear um, a lot more about how amazing Gareth Southgate is and the atmosphere and, uh, you know, how he's really brought a, a change to being a part of the England setup and how they will still somehow lose in the quarterfinals. So, whatever. Yeah, I mean, the thing about Southgate, we might as well talk about it a little bit because we do follow any of the soccer team in here, is I think he... Did a very poor job in the final. I think he did not. I think he cost them that game with his choices and his substitutions. I think at the same time, that team has been so toxic for my entire, like, as long as I've ever followed soccer that, you know, if I was an England fan, I would absolutely not want him fired. I would, I would completely want him to stick around. I would be. I, I think I would still be on board with him. I mean, and, you know, it's worth pointing out, he's been in the semifinals of two major tournaments, and you can throw all the asterisks and, you know, sort of caveats on that you want, but it's still true. Uh, he's probably the best coach England's had since, God, I don't know when. I mean, probably I mean, probably the Alfred early... Ramsey? <laughs> yeah, probably, honestly. I mean, it, it's it's... You know, I think it's hard to argue with the job he's done, even though I think... His in-game management is certainly questionable. Yeah, I think the the only thing that you can say is is like he ran up against Roberto Mancini, who is an actual good manager, um, and probably the only other actual good manager in the tournament, or the only actual good manager in the tournament. Um, so, and and Mancini made changes that made. The difference. For, Even that, he the... caught Mancini with his pants down for the first like half hour or so, and just couldn't capitalize on it, which is a shame. But is uh, what I don't is. even know if it was the first half hour, like the first ten minutes, maybe. I would say um, twenty, but yeah, all right, fair enough. No, I mean the whole. I think the whole first half, Italy was not getting any change out of that England side. Like England were sitting back, but they were sitting back effectively and neutralizing Italy, and then he made changes at like the 50, 55th minute. And I think that's when Italy really turned things around. Um, but, you know, I think you're right. Like, I think Luis Enrique and Mancini were the only good managers in the tournament, and they happened to play each other in the semifinal. So, you know, Southgate was going to have to run up against one of them uh, at some point. And, you know, when we talk about these guys like being real managers, like the bar is pretty low. Like Mancini is like a pretty good manager. Like there's a reason he's not still at Man City. Uh, um, you know, for international football, Gareth Southgate is a perfectly adequate manager. Like, so much of the job is 
that stuff like Greg was talking about, managing toxicity, getting a group of 25 guys who all play for different clubs to like come together and like want to be on a team and instilling the basic semblance of tactics that can get you through. And like, yeah, it mostly worked. And um, I think that's even harder in England than almost any other managerial position. I think the media culture surrounding that's so toxic, the history with that team since I would say 2000 at least has been incredibly toxic. I think that's a very, I, I, I do think normally I would sort of dismiss that out of hand, especially in like a club job at international football at, in England. I think that is a much more difficult task than it seems at first blush. I mean, the first tournament that I remember like being aware of like the English tabloid stuff is probably like 2006. And like, all I remember hearing about was like the wags at base camp and like, you know, women be shopping in Germany and like what a distraction they were and how unprofessional it all was. And like, that was like, you know, my, my first understanding of like what it meant to be an England fan and what you kind of went through in the media. Um, when sniping each other in the press, that, that, that kind of stuff too. It was right. Yeah. It was ruthless. And then, you know, you had a decade of Lampard and Gerard debates and you had, you know, John, John Terry's, Terry's racism. Existence. Yeah, you know, Wayne Rooney is captain. And Chelsea, what that meant. Chelsea players versus United players in the dressing room, you know. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, we don't need to explain this to our English listeners, but it's like, it was a very, very terrible climate for a really long time. And, you know, I think this is a decent segue into the Nuno conversation, but it's been very telling to see how at peace... English fans seem to be with the results of the final. Like, yes, there's a segment who are like horribly racist and, you know, abused players for missing penalties and shit like that. But by and large, like your average good football fan just enjoyed the ride, enjoyed being part of a thing that felt like a good time. We're happy to make a final. And like, yes, they would have liked to have won, but you know, by and large, nobody is out there calling this a failure. And well, I think for all we, you know, could sit here and talk about Gareth Southgate's faults as an in-game manager and a tactician or whatever. You know, at going through the last year as a Spurs fan under Jose Mourinho, I understand how appealing that is and how, yeah, I, I would trade a little bit of on-pitch success for just an atmosphere that just feels like well, when we had we're having Mason, a good time together. When we had Mason come in, you know, it was such a breath of fresh air that we thought he might be able to f- do something in the League Cup. Like, I mean, that's that, that's what kind of effect that has on you as a fan. And, you know, like you said, imagine a decade plus of that as an England fan. And, yeah, it, it really is like, I mean, I, there's going to be a point at which he needs to, de- I mean, I don't want to say he needs to deliver on the pitch because you get a team to a semifinal and a, and a final. That's That's delivering, but... You know, it's sooner or later his deficiencies as an in-game manager are going to become more of a problem for him. But right now, I think he's more than delivered, and that he's quashed something that has just been a problem for England forever is is a genuinely impressive feat. Yeah, I think I think to be able to take the focus away from you know, like what we see in the press now, the three players that missed um, those penalties, and the press is largely speaking, you know, empathetic to them. Uh, And, you know, we have to support the guys, you know, all that sort of stuff versus the culture that they had for the last decade or two decades where, you know, Southgate misses a penalty in a, 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 you know, and and he's, you know, made to be like a pariah. You know, Beckham in in the, what he gets sent off, um, you know, and, and so English football culture and the media had had done so much in the past to find scapegoats and people to blame for quote-unquote failures and you know this time around the the narrative and, and the coverage around them has changed so much to where now they're not even talking about failures they're talking about you know supporting the team getting it back together going again that sort of stuff and and you know for whatever I think of Southgate as a manager, um, which isn't very much, he has certainly done that. And, and I, I would imagine as an England fan that that is 
extremely refreshing to not have to worry largely about the press just trying to tear down all of your players all the time. And it's worth yeah, pointing like, out that Southgate has done also created a very inclusive England team, England setup, a very anti-racist England setup, really done a very good job with all that, and an environment that is not always receptive to this, but in, in, given the, like the sort of the, the, pol- the politicians in charge of England, what's been sort of the discussion that's happened in England over the last few years, certain proclivities of that fan base. I mean, I think the work Southgate's done in that regard is really kind of breathtaking. Yeah, and like, obviously, fuck the sun forever, but the fact that they're not out here knives out for Saka, Sancho, and, and Rashford is yeah, Three black players, of, yeah. I think it's it's really How tough. much Southgate did, you know, a number on, on the culture, and that, yeah, I think that should not go overlooked. So as much as he fucked up the substitutes and <laughs> shouldn't have brought on two cold players to take penalties, but you know, you live and learn. So speaking of managers and affecting culture, uh, Tottenham have a new manager, uh, Nuno Espirito Santo. Uh, he joined us from Wolves a few weeks ago. Brian and I talked about it uh, on our last episode before my son got really sick and then got me sick in turn, so we took a little bit of a break. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're back with everyone this week, so we wanted to sort of, now that we've had time to sit with it, I wanted to sort of talk a little bit more about how we feel like this appointment's been going down and what we think it portends. But Ben, I want to start with you because you weren't on the last episode, so, uh, and you were in Florida, so I actually haven't talked to you that much about Nuno. All I've gotten from you is your standard grunts of negativity and dissatisfaction that have become par for course over the last two years of Tottenham. But what do you think of this hire? Because I think... I think there's a level at which it's like it's unimpressive. It's kind of like Southgate. It's unimpressive on his face, on its face. But the last two years have been such a mess. The fact that he has any sort of dignity about himself is making it all go down a little bit smoother than it otherwise would. First of all, it doesn't sound like me at all. <laughs> uh, I mean, yes, I think I'm very much in a posture of just like kind of sitting here with my arms crossed, you know, waiting for somebody to prove me wrong. Um, because, yeah, I'm not, like, thrilled with the appointment. I'm not thrilled with the process that led to the appointment. Um, you know, this is a guy who's been sitting there for us to pick up if we had so chosen uh, for months. And, you know, that, as much as anything, is just really, really obnoxious, given the names we were linked with, the names we still could have hired um, before we settled on Nuno. That's frustrating. Um, as a manager, I think... I don't think he's a bad manager. I don't think he is a fun manager. Um, and I think, you know, they have taken great pains to try and sell him to us as someone who was fun once upon a time at a Valencia team that nobody watched one or year. remembered. For but, one year. <laughs> but uh, was, like, totally, like, super entertaining. And uh, it's definitely his first DNA, you know. But, you know, so I'm, like, inter- intensely skeptical about, like, the kind of football we're going to get out of this man. But I think the fact that they have taken such pains to sell us on that line um, at least encourages me that, like, there's going to be an attempt to be, like, kind of fun, maybe, um, or at least an attempt to gaslight us into thinking that what we're watching is fun, even while it's interminably boring. Um, So, yeah, so that's the football side. But, you know, going back to Southgate, he seems like a really, really genuinely good person with you know progressive ideas about people and football culture and you know i think he is not going to be a bad vibes manager and i am just very very ready for that all the stuff that we've seen from him in training you know everybody seems like they're having a nice time you know the rumors coming out of from the players are that are positive about nuno like I'm excited for us to get back to something we can kind of all get behind. Um, but I'm also intensely skeptical and prepared, you know, three weeks into the season to be like, all right, this sucks. Do you think the, cause we had this cop, Brian and I had this conversation last time and it was kind of, it was a little bit eye opening for me because as Brian was talking to me about it, I thought, yeah, you're not, you know what? You're not wrong. I think there's among Spurs fans and maybe it's just cause we've, you know, been conditioned to expect so much garbage over the last few years. Do you think that 
Yeah, obviously the club's bending over backwards to convince us that, oh, well, look, his Valencia team played forward passes once. That's, it's going to be fun. Do you think, conversely, the defensive stuff among Spurs fans is being oversold a little bit? Because I've been thinking back to Wolves games that I've watched, and I, I, get, I don't think that's Pep Guardiola or, you know, scintillating attacking football, but it's also not Stoke. And I feel like if you listen to Spur, certain Spurs fans talk, it's... It's, you know, that's sort of the vibe you get. And I'm not, again, I'm not trying to say that Wolves were any sort of great attacking team. But at the same time, like, certainly the games they played against us, I mean, they, there were some adventurous matches they played against us. Even if it was, like, good counterattacking football. It, it, it's, I feel like the defensive thing is, again, not untrue, but being oversold by a certain segment of our fandom a little bit. I mean, it's not defensive in the way that Stoke is defensive. It's not, you know, it's not like they're relying on, like, the rare set-piece goal or someone's long throw-ins, but it is very, very patient defensive possession kind of football. It is it is tedious, is what I would say. It is It's not like you're going to sit there under the cosh for 90 minutes, but honestly, it's not so dissimilar from the way, you know, Southgate's England plays where the ball just kind of circulates among the back six or seven for a while, and then they pick their rare spots to venture forward. Um, you know, I think Wolves were definitely limited by by their players, especially last year with Raul Jimenez being injured all season. They never really figured out a way to replace that, and I think that made them even more boring and even more reluctant to, like, venture um, attacks. But, like, They've always had fun players like Pedro Nato and Adama Traore and Daniel Potence, who we've been linked with. Um, you know, guys who are fun dribblers who will do exciting things. And so it's like, yeah, they're not incapable of fun attacking moves. And you're right. We've played them in games where after after going ahead, they were able to come at us and really, really take swings at us um, in, in fun counterattacking football. So... You know, there's not no reason to hope, but I'm not sure I'm optimistic. Because most of it is just they're creating very little every game and just, you know, playing very fine margin football and winning more often than not on the back of a decent defensive performance and an occasional good goal. Uh, that's how I feel about Wolves anyway. <laughs> I mean, I think the thing that that you're definitely correct about is that last season as an evaluative metric for Wolves is difficult because they lost Raul Jimenez. And then they were forced to play Fabio Silva as their only striker, and he's, I don't know, 12. And, you know, I, I, I think... Hey, they got William the last, What's that? Yeah, William Jose in January. Yeah. Did he play at all? I don't know. I, but the, the erstwhile uh, almost first backup striker. Almost, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just I think that using that as a as a as a as a metric to, to look at what a Nuno team is is maybe not the best. Now maybe if you want to use it as like, well, how does he adapt when he's address has to address adversity? How does he, you know, how does he utilize the squad when he loses key players through injury? Like, okay, fine. But I think in terms of evaluating the style and what can or can't be done under Nuno, I think the prior season um, is a little bit better of a metric. And, you know, they they possess the ball, you know, less than some of the other teams at the top part of the table. Um, but, you know, that's basically what we've been doing under Jose Mourinho. And uh, they got more shots than, than uh, you know, the, the Spurs teams have in the last couple of years. Um, and, and honestly, like, that is the thing that, that I am interested to see is how does Nuno drill an attack? And, um, and, and how does he, he craft an attack out of these players? Um, the stuff that's come out this week is wants to go to a two-man attack as opposed to, you know, just Harry Kane as a lone striker. Um, which I'm curious about how he envisions Hungman's son in that, 
or, or, or what the role for some of our wide players is in that. But, you know, it sounds like he at least has some attacking ideas as opposed to what we've been dealing with under Jose. So maybe the better quality of players will result in, you know, better results. So that's kind of the basket I'm putting all my eggs in right now until we actually see, you know, a, a, a month of games and have some kind of understanding of what, what this is going to look like. Uh, you know, I'm just trying to tell myself, look, better players, um, you know, a lot of our key players are uh, mostly healthy, and so maybe it won't be bad. Yeah, better ingredients, better pizza. Pop Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I think there's probably something to that in that, you know, like you said, I mean, Ben, you were saying, like, Wolves is at least somewhat a product of their of their playing staff. Now, I think there's a lot to learn from Wolves. Um, I don't think we should discard it entirely. You hope it, what you hope is that with guys like Deli and Harry Kane and Son, that, you know, it's going to open up some possibilities that he didn't have at Wolves. And if I am, again, I feel like I'm telling, I'm trying to convince myself of something there, which I never feel great when I'm doing. But, um... You know, if there is something that I would hang my hat on is Wolves had a bunch of fun players, and unlike certain Portuguese managers that have coached Spurs, Nuno didn't entirely drill that out of them. Like, I mean, he let Triore be Triore. I mean, you know, Jimenez was fun to watch. Like, I mean, he didn't, like, kill what made these players fun in, in service of his system. I mean, maybe he's restricting it somewhat, but... You know, he's letting some of these guys cook and utilizing some of these talents. So, you know, I mean, like, Triore is not your ideal right back in a defensive team. So, I mean, obviously his fullbacks get get up. But, you know, the fact of the matter is he did utilize the talents that were available to him to some degree. So what you hope is now that he has a broader array of talents to draw on, he's going to utilize them. Again, like I said... The other time, I think we're, he, Nuno, if there's any sort of success here, is going to really benefit from the last coach was so bad, we're just happy that anything works. And we're going to sort of give him a pass if it's a little bit boring. Uh, but then in a few years, that that might, you know, that honeymoon might wear off. So, I mean, at the very least, we'll see a fit and firing Matt Doherty. And, like, that's really what well, we've been missing. You know, I, I mean, not to say about Doherty, but... You know, like, the, one of the things I'm encouraged by is, like, some of the reports that like, he's emphasizing fitness, which, after the last two years, I'm fucking excited to hear that again, because that was one of the good things about the Pochettino era, is this team was, you know, physically crazy, and, you know, I, it, maybe that's just him getting guys ready for set pieces, and we're in for it, but, you know, that fitness has been a problem for the last few years. This team is not, and that, that was a real foundation of success under Pochettino, so... Maybe I'm just, like, looking for positives, but I'm encouraged to see that's something that we're focusing on early in training. Well, it's definitely been interesting watching some of, like, the training videos that the club is putting out and, and to see what some of the drills are. And there seems to be um, not that there's less of a technical influence, but there's a lot more – or not influence, focus. But there there's, seems to be a lot more focus on – guys bumping into each other and then doing stuff like every drill i see is like two guys running at each other and then they fight over a ball and then somebody kicks it into a mini goal or they're hitting and, a pad and having to like pick the ball up as soon as they get like hit with a pad or something like that yeah so and, and i mean look maybe that's what it's always like and and i'm not remembering all the preseason videos of the past but like i feel like you know a focus on sort of aerial duels or or or, or, or you know, one-on-one -on -one duels on the ground or whatever is certainly something that Nuno seems to be um, prioritizing and, and, you know, strength from these guys. I mean, you know, you watching, like, Deli and Eric Dyer kind of whatever they were doing, like, shoulder barge each other and then switch and shoulder barge with the other shoulder and then back. Like, I don't know. I, that's, I, I would like our did that team... do it for you, Brian? Yeah, it really did, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but you know, like I would, I would like our team to go back to being, you know, kind of physical and, and, and bastard sort of in the way that we were under Pochettino, as opposed to just being like, 
shitty, horrible bastards in the way that we were under Mourinho. Like, you know, let's be, let's do that, and then also have like technical skill and flair. Um, and and that seems to be kind of what Nuno is is trying to instill. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen the sort of technical flair bits. It's on. It's on our OnlyFans account. So, <laughs> but. Yeah, I mean, I, I have seen, you know, Lucas Mora uh, goal hanging in, like, five-a-side matches and, you know, looking like Maradona. Um, I I don't know. I'm very curious to see how we're structured in this friendly this weekend. You know, I know we're not going to have everybody, and I know it's not going to be too indicative of what we're actually going to be, you know, playing this season, but... You know, I think there's a lot of question marks. Are oh, okay? Are we going to play? You know, a back three with wing backs, the way that we saw Nuno do all the time at Wolves. You know, what does this mean that you know for him to have these two attackers like he's talked about? Um, does that just mean like a three-five-two, or is that going to be something more interesting or, or different um, that we aren't aren't used to? Um, and you know, obviously it'll just be late and orient, but I think we'll get to see at least a little glimpse of what it might mean to be a, a Nuno. Tottenham team. I mean, you say it's just Leighton Orient. Leighton Orient just drew with West Ham recently, so... Oh, I take it back. Could could be a very difficult match for us. I mean, West Ham's... Well, West Ham might be really bad. I don't West know. West Ham's got to get into form. they got to get knocked out of the Europa League in a few weeks, so... Like, you can't expect West Ham to be on top of their game without Declan Rice, so, <laughs> you know. I, I, I think this speaks to just how beaten down we all are by the Mourinho era. We're just looking at, like, training videos and be like, look, they're, they're working hard. <laughs> they don't look like they want to kill someone. Like, I mean, I, I, certainly one of the things I'm most excited for under Nuno is, like, he's probably not going to randomly exile guys, like good players. Like, maybe Deli Alley's going to... I mean, I, I am too seasoned a sports fan to fall for Deli's best shape of his life stuff, but, you know... I'm excited to see Deli Alley like starting on a baggage-free Tottenham team again. It's, and, but I think it's again speaks to like I, we were so beaten down under Mourinho by the end. It was like it was such nonsense. It was such awful football. It was such ridiculous nonsense that you know on and off the pitch that wasn't in service of anything. And the fact that we are almost certainly going to be free of like ninety percent of that, like maybe some Mendez like transfer bullshit, but. That hasn't really reared its ugly head yet, so we can at least live in blissful ignorance of that. But it just a sort of drama-free Tottenham team, at least for the time being, is is kind of encouraging to think about. And the thing is, is like like you said with Delhi, it's like regardless of the manager, there are so many guys right now that we're still in the space of like dreaming on what they can be for Spurs. You know, we have Delhi, we have. And Dombele and Los Celso, who we still really haven't seen the best of. We have Joe Roden. We have Sestignan coming back. We have Bergvine, who we've never seen the best of. Like, There's still a lot of things, even before a single transfer happens, about this team that I'm really excited to see under a manager who isn't Jose fucking Mourinho. Um, and, you know, again, we may be disabused of these dreams very quickly, but it's really nice to be in a position where I can hope again that some of these players who I've wanted to see light things up for Spurs for a couple of years now, maybe finally get a chance to do that again. Um, and, you know, it's just a, it's just a summer of possibility. Well, I'm kind of like curious cause we, I feel like we talked a lot on this podcast about like a replacement level manager would do a much better job of this running this team than any other manager we've had done for about two years. And I think we're about to see what that looks like because it wasn't Ryan Mason, but you know, Nuno might not be any great shakes, but you know, I, I think he's not gonna, you know, maybe he won't use Lo Celso in the way that we would ideally want to use him, but I don't think we're gonna see any of that like that second Arsenal game that we saw under Mourinho. Like we're just not gonna see nonsense lineups that don't make any sense or that are being sent out there to prove a point. I mean, there were rumors about Ndombele playing wingback, so I don't well, know. Those are just your dreams coming true, man. You just want to see everybody play as a wingback, so. Not Ndombele, but yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, and right now, like, there's been a lot of concerns over uh, Paratici, but, like, 
I gotta say, like, at least for right now, we're, we've been linked with, by and large, pretty good players, except kind of for Danny Ings, who, again, for the right price, I am happy to have as Harry Kane's backup, even though he is never healthy, but, you know, he probably wants a big payday, so... That's probably not going to end up being a good idea. Brian, is there any world in which Danny Ings makes sense at Spurs at this day and age? Uh, I, I don't know. I guess, yeah. But, I mean, you have to be able to figure out a salary that makes sense. And then you also have to be able to, to coordinate his injuries with Harry Kane's injuries <laughs> so that they're not at the same time. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think... The Ing signing makes sense if you think that you are going to lose Harry Kane sooner rather than later, um, and you want somebody who you know that you can at least just stick out there in the Premier League and will occasionally score a goal. Um, Ings is, what, almost 29, and... With the injury history, and I think this last season at Southampton was probably his worst season um, since his kind of breakout. So I wouldn't be excited about uh, having him on board now. I mean, he seems to want like one last big money move, whether that's to Chelsea, um, you know, Manchester City, Manchester United, whatever. Um, I just. It's hard to get excited about that as your backup striker, um, but that is the sort of player you're kind of limited to when you have Harry Kane as your starter. It is either someone unproven and young or someone who is older and has some sort of warp, whether it is they're 35 and can't move or they are 29 and irreparably broken or whatever the case may be. So... Um, if he's happy to come in and be second fiddle, then maybe it makes sense and you can work out the salary numbers, but it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be my choice. I mean, I, I just, I think the whole concept of a backup striker is one that we really aren't in a position to kind of consider, you know, like we have two or three starting attacking spots of guys who are going to be predominantly, like goal scoring figures on the pitch and like right now that's Kane and Son and somebody else you know it was Gareth Bale he's not coming back maybe it's Deli Alley I don't know um but any anybody we bring in whether it's an old guy or a young guy or whatever it's somebody who should be kind of a credible rotation option you know where you can rest Son for a match and play with Kane rest Kane for a match and play with Son play all three of them together and it's not like a problem and the thing about Danny Ings in particular is if you are getting a guy to just come in and be a backup or when you need someone to spell Kane because Kane got hurt again, you need somebody who's durable and reliable. And, you know, like you joked about syncing up their injuries, but, like, that's a real risk. If your backup striker is injured again because he's always injured, like, what the fuck is the point of having him? You know, give me a Olivier Giroud who's older than Ings by some distance, but, like, you know is pretty much going to just be healthy sitting on that bench waiting for his minutes. like And know, incredibly handsome. And incredibly handsome. And, you know, he really could... Would be nice to see someone do the, the hat-trick of, of London London clubs. Big London clubs. Um, sorry, West Ham. I was going to say, are you Every, suggesting... Everybody else in West, West Ham. Okay. With Ben, he played uh, at Arsenal. Whatever. Yeah, Giroud played at Arsenal, Greg. Yeah, no, you talk about big London clubs. Where you, what, come on, Ben. Oh, I see, I see. Um, but yeah, we haven't seen anyone since like Gallus make that complete that hat trick. So I don't know. Uh, I would much rather have somebody kind of younger and more dynamic who you can play like a like a son who you can stick up top and play up top when you need to and play you know in the front line when you when you yeah, don't. I, I think you know we were linked with uh, Taram earlier uh, the this summer, and I think that's kind of what you're talking about you're talking about a guy who can play and function as a wide attacker but who has you know the sort of size and ability to to do hold up type things even if he maybe hasn't always exhibited that 
so far in his career, he certainly has the the physique and the ability to do that. Um, you know, I, I think we'd all love. Uh, it's not Isaac. It's it's Isak, right? Is that how we're pronouncing it? Um, from uh, there's the no way we're getting team. him unless we sell Harry Kane and just spend all that money on his replacement. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. That's what I was gonna say. Is like if if we had 80 million pounds just laying around, you know before selling Harry Kane, I think that'd be great. But, you know, I, there, there's there's got to be options out there. And, and, you know, aside from delving into the George Mendes pool, I've kind of liked the sort of targeting and, and the number of players that we've been linked with in sort of positions of need. It, it has felt more like... Hey, we're actually looking at people this summer than where in the past it has felt like, oh, Liverpool was linked with them. They're all Spurs are also interested. Well, like it has felt much more like Spurs have been in contact about this player and about this player and, and, and less like us being tangentially involved. It's funny because we were so, I think, all kind of bought into this. Like, and maybe it's still true that Paratici is just like a grifter and a scam artist from the way the managerial search was going. And, it is worth remembering this guy wanted to hire Gattuso. Um, but the rumor, what's been reported about him is that he negotiates sort of multiple deals at once. Like you said, Brian, he's kicking the tires on like, okay, well, what about this guy? How about this guy? And Ben, I think you said to me at one point this week, is like, that's a shockingly sensible way to conduct transfer business. And maybe other people do this kind of thing and it's just not reported that way but it sounds like we've got multiple irons in the fire that are progressing at different speeds and we're kind of ready to strike whenever we find something we like enough I mean I also think that the way he works for whatever reason a lot of this stuff is getting leaked to the press and none of us have really gotten a good feel yet for like how to read it obviously uh you know this uh you know the the um Tomiyasu transfer has been reported a little more substantially than some of the others, but we don't always know which one. Like, we hear Danny Ings get thrown in, and obviously that's reported in Telegraph by Matt Law. You know, probably there, we, we, uh, probably there's something there, but, we, you know, Spurs fans sort of immediately, immediately react as if this is a priority for the team as opposed to, like, I don't know, maybe we're just talking to that, like, seeing if, you know, he's available because his agent felt us out, like, I have no feel for how serious we are yet beyond... Honestly, the only two transfers I feel like there's any sort of, like, I have a good read on it are the Tomiyasu transfer, which sounds like it's definitely happening any day now, and the Kunde transfer, which I don't know if it's going to happen or not, but there's enough reporting around it that I'm convinced that we are, are trying to make it work. Whether or not it's actually going to work is another matter, but... Other than those guys, it's just like names are just flying out there in such a way where, like you said, Brian, in some ways it's really encouraging that we're being linked with all these people, but I have no ability to read how serious we are. Like, you know, I have no ability to read how serious we are about half of these transfers. Yeah, what you said, Greg, is like it shouldn't be as encouraging as it is to see us approach transfers in this way, but to be kicking the tires on a bunch of people for a need in parallel to say, okay, we need a center back. So, like, who's the universe of center backs we want to sign? Okay, there's these six guys. Now let's go start negotiations with all six of these guys simultaneously and then evaluate the likelihood, the fit, personalities, fees, whatever, and then make a choice at that point, which is such a huge sea change from how we've always done it, which is we identify priority number one. We put all our eggs in that basket, and we work that transfer to death, and then either we finally get it over the line like two days before the season starts, or we don't, and then we're scrambling to find guy number two. Um, And, you know, I think in those years, you're right, we've had a much better sense of, like, what we're actually doing in terms of our business. And in this case, I'm, I'm very happy to not have a great handle on who our priority players are because I feel confident, at the very least, that we are taking each search by position very seriously and have a number of options so that if Kunde turns out they're not going to take 30 million plus Davidson Sanchez or he's got his heart set on a bigger club than Spurs, we're not sitting here August 1st going, fuck, who are we signing? We already have, you know, 
whoever the backup center back is, we've already identified and already, you know, had conversations with ready to go. And that's just so much more sensible. And I'm, I'm very excited about that. Whether our targets end up being actually good, that kind of remains to be seen, but the process seems better. Well, so far, I mean, again, we're not, we're not being, especially considering that like all our connections to Mendez all of a sudden, we are generally speaking, even accounting for like trash rumors, not being linked with guys where you're like, like it's not sending out enormous alarm bells like Getson did. You know what I mean? Like it, it's just like like Tomiyasu feels like the kind of play. Maybe he won't work out. He feels like the kind of player Spurs should be sort of sniffing around and looking at. Like that's a good price. That's like you know you can see why he'd be undervalued. It's you know it, it's that that profile is really interesting. You know, frankly, I'm shocked that we're looking at Kunde in a serious way. Because I, I can't believe he would come to Spurs. He's so good. Um, I mean, he might not want to come to Spurs in any case. But, you know, if we could turn, like, Davison Sanchez and a pile of money into Kunde, like, holy shit. Like, I'll take back any negative thing I said about Paratici during the transfer, during our, our, our managerial search. Because that would be genuinely impressive. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm just mostly pleased that we're not being linked with guys who, again, that might come. We're not. It doesn't seem like we're being linked with weird, scammy Portuguese players like Wolves the always first, were. The first guy we've been linked with in that respect has been Daniel Potence um, today or yesterday, who is okay, but you know, not a great allocation of resources. But I don't think a disaster signing. So like, if yeah, that's like our floor for shitty Mendez clients, like. I can live with that. That feels like the kind of weird attacker we would have bought anyway. So it's like, yeah, it's like you said, I can kind of live with that. Yeah, I mean, you know, but the problem is, is that Potence is kind of like, he's actually towards the top end of like the yeah. George Mendez level of, in terms of players that haven't already moved. So like, if we're going to get, we're probably going to get at least one Mendez client over this summer and so like if the bar is potence like what 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 are what are we actually gonna wind up with because I mean like you know Silva would have been would have been good but he went to Leipzig and so like what are we left with I mean you know like Rube Patricio already moved so we can't have him I mean I I just don't know what our options are yeah, I mean, that that's the thing that's also, I, mean, I don't know if you guys just this last week, but Mendez's client portfolio is not... What do you not mean you don't being, know? You didn't listen? <laughs> I absolutely didn't listen. I was at the beach. I don't want to think about Spurs when I'm hanging out at the beach. I want to have a nice time. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, his stable of clients is not, like, the, the upper echelon of world football anymore in a way that it was maybe 10 years ago. And so... Again, we may have already talked about this, but like, it's a weird time to be getting in bed with a guy like this. Well, it's not especially that you're in bed with a guy like this anyway. Good but. clients, but nobody that's leaving their yeah. clubs to come to us. Like Ruben Diaz, Bernardo Silva, Fabinho, Cancelo. Like, th- those guys aren't leaving Man City and Liverpool to come to Spurs. Like, so what we're left with is guys like Pedro Neto, Pereira, Renato Sanchez. Bernardo Sanchez might actually be okay. I don't know. Um, but, you know, there's nobody on his list that's, you know, kind of in our age profile and sort of, like, transfer, um, like, fee range, like, that, that, that you look at and you go, oh, they're exciting. Um, it's just not, there's just nobody. Well, it's even weirder when you, when you consider that, you know, we've kind of been in bed with Mendez for a little bit and we seem to go to great lengths to protect ourselves from like the weird Mendez, like Getson and Vinicius. Like, I mean, we really went out of our way to make sure we didn't get stuck with the bill on those guys. I wouldn't mind Vinicius back. Like he was fine. Yeah. Regardless of what you think of Vinicius, like. We made sure that we didn't get like caught with some weird forty million euro, like George Mendez special in that. You know what I mean? Like we Vinicius really would absolutely crush the Europa Conference League. Hey, like I mean, that's he James killed Scarlet's the Europa here. League. Like I, I mean, he would be the leading scorer in this conference league by like a mile. 
We're absolutely going to win that league and, like, finish eighth this year. I'm like, <laughs> like, the worse our league position is, like, the more I'm convinced we are going to win the conference league. Or, more likely, lose to Jose Mourinho in the final and just truly illustrate how far Mourinho's career has fallen. No, I mean, he wouldn't view that as a fall. He would view that as another trophy, and that's all that matters to Jose Mourinho. Uh. Uh, he would call it like the most important trophy in his career if he beat Spurs. It would be like the vindication of everything, no matter how Mickey Mouse the trophy is. Yeah, to bring a trophy to Roma, he would be like, he would be like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I would want to win the Europe European Conference League, but also it's going to be like pretty funny. It's not going to be like the kind of trophy that you're going to be feel really good about. It's going to be just mostly pretty amusing. So, um, one of the things that uh, Greg and I talked about in the last show that we did, Ben, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this, is we talked about how, or I talked about at least, how how I think that, you know, regardless of what you think of the Nuno signing as a manager, I think we can all agree that, that whatever we do in the transfer window this summer is incredibly important. You know, regardless of selling Kane or not, we have areas of the squad that we need to strengthen and we need to, to, to we need to have an actual good transfer window if we are going to move from being, you know, the fifth or sixth best team to the third or fourth best team. Um, what do you think we need to do in the next whatever month and a half or so to to move the needle for our summer? Okay, so let's. I'm assuming Tomiyasu is already back. Yeah, assume we're, we've um, signed him. So, I mean, I think, I think it's pretty clear that the next priority is a center back. I mean, Toby's old, Dyer's bad, Sanchez is bad, Roden might be good, Tanganga might be good, but I think that's a clear area we absolutely need somebody. Um, and honestly, that plus everybody else staying fit and doing well is probably enough for us to make like a really good top four run. I mean, you know, a deli return to form, Los Celso and Dombele play real minutes. Skip comes in and be the skip we want him to be. Sassanian comes in and is good. Like, I think the squad we have is largely best case scenario, still a third or fourth place squad in the Premier League um, minus a like star center back. Uh, that said, I think we definitely need more bodies, another attacker to replace Lamella and Lucas and maybe Bergwijn. Um, if we if he doesn't come good, if Delhi doesn't come good, I think that's the next place that we absolutely need to strengthen. But I mean, the rumors are I think I saw ITK say that you know we we're looking at six signings this summer: two center backs, a center midfielder, a striker, attacking midfielder. Uh, and a right back and like I think that's not wrong in terms of like the number of bodies we could do with refreshing um, you know I'd love it if we could clear out guys like Dyer and Toby and Sanchez and just start from scratch with the back line you know clear out Ben Davis clear out Matt Doherty clear out Lucas and Lamella and all that junk um, but you know, I think as much as I dislike guys like Lucas and as much as Lamella is a is a fan favorite without ever being very good, like they're still useful enough squad players that if we don't replace them, I don't think that's gonna be a death sentence for Spurs. But if we have a slim summer, we need everything to go right, and then if it doesn't, next summer is a, just a disaster. First of all, how dare you about Eric Lamella? But <laughs> uh, yeah, Lucas has been linked to Saudi Arabia, which is a little bit of a head scratcher to me. Like I would imagine Lucas could go to a more productive league, and I, I don't know. Like I just imagine South. I, I imagine Saudi Arabia mostly going for ex Barcelona players, but I guess they have to get other people too. Uh, I think if you can get Saudi money, Brazilian national team players. Yeah, that's I mean, fair. That's pretty exciting. That's fair. Uh, yeah, if you could, if you could, I'm presuming the Saudis are going to give us some sort of real fee, uh, or maybe they're just willing to take a salary off our books. Either way, that's a big win for us. Yeah, I mean that's the thing about a Saudi club is like they have money unaffected by 
world football economics. So if they want to pay for Lucas Mora, we'll be happy to sell him to him. Whether he wants to take that kind of step down, I don't know. But yeah, sweet enough. I mean, I think Lucas, for all my problems with Lucas or all the frustrations we have, like I think he's good enough to go play for like a mid-table team in a real European league or you know France. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> He's good enough to, like, come off our bench. Like, he's still good. Like, he sucks, but, like, he's not terrible. <laughs> um, you know, I think as long as we can convince him that he can go, like, refight the Crusades in the Middle East, I think he'll be on board. Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, it's, it's Spurs have a lot Lucas of work Lucas is to a do. nutcase. Like, yeah. That's, that's just Lucas. Uh, well, no, he's, he's every – he's a Brazilian national, is I think what you're trying to say. Um but uh, Brazilian national team players, I actually meant to say there, to be clear. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know, we have a lot of work to do this summer, and between our own difficulties in running a transfer window and, you know, frankly, just what COVID's done to the transfer market, I'm a little skeptical uh, that we're going to get all of it done, and I'm not necessarily going to blame the team if there's a little bit of work left to do, but, you know, I am the defense is just the thing that we absolutely cannot afford not to like, I mean, they need to buy two center backs at least. Like, and, you know, if Tomiyasu's one of them, fine. Like, you know, but they need to go get him and someone else. Now, if that has to be, you know, that guy from Fulham because Kunde just will not deign to play for Spurs, then fine. But, you know, we need two semi-reliable center backs that we can replace the turds we're running out there now with. Uh, we probably need a right back of some sort, even though we could probably cover that internally, although... With Tanganga, I'm a little worried about his injury history, if that's the plan, um, with him and Doherty. Uh, but, you know, or, I, I think it speaks to how poorly managed. Wait, Tomiyasu, I think, is the right back. Yeah, or, yeah, if he's either a right back or a backup right back. I mean, it's either way. But I think we need to get, you know, another center back in, too. It's just, man, I don't know. I feel like we are, this team is not as far – this roster construction is not as bad as it's felt the last few years. And that's a mixture of just poor coaching and injuries have made it feel a lot worse than it's been. And, you know, we're going to see, like I said earlier, we're going to see what a replacement level manager can do with this team. Because, I mean, maybe Nuno is a little bit better than I'm giving him credit for. But, you know, I think at a minimum he's not going to fuck up some of our players like Mourinho did. And I think that, you know, the important thing is for this summer is for the first time in a long time, um, we're not we we don't need need another midfielder like we have an actual functional midfield that you know i mean ben talked a little bit earlier about how you can dream on those guys but like we've also seen all of those players work as part of either a two-man or three-man functional midfield um so like we don't need to hope necessarily that lacelso or ndombele takes a big leap like yeah, absolutely, we want them to. But, like, if Ndombele plays the way that he played at the beginning of last season, this is a great midfield. Uh, and if Lacelso plays the way he did, not last season, but the year before, it's a great midfield. And if well, Hoybier, just yeah. had, I mean, That's honestly what worries me most about Nuno, is, like, Lacelso just had a really good um, Copa America, I thought. Um, and obviously it's the Copa America, you want to take some of that with a grain of salt. And is a very flexible player you can put him in a lot of different positions and use him in a lot of different ways i'm just worried we're gonna like use these guys very conservatively and do things that you can do with them as opposed to the things that we should do with them and probably the area of the pitch that worries me most about that under nuno is our midfield like you know like i'm worried he's gonna restrict indomble i'm worried he's gonna have lacelso doing just ugly scut work you know i'm not actually really worried about how he's going to use Hoiberg, but, I, you know, I think, like, if we had Pochettino, if we had Pochettino before the collapse, I'd be very interested to see what he'd do with Hoiberg after the Euros he just had, where, you know, he seemed to do things that I didn't realize he could do. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, that was always the thing about Hoiberg, right? He was, like, kind of a tweener, 6'8", whatever, at Southampton, and we made him a defensive midfielder and forgot that he is actually a really, really good, you know, progressive midfield player, as we saw at the Euros. And, like, yeah, a good manager would see three guys like Los Celso and Donnelly and Hoybier who are all good two-way players and say, okay, we can use this. 
and I totally agree with your fears that like that's not what we're gonna get. Now it's like I said, it's worth pointing out. Nuno had a lot of fun players at Wolves that he did not like. You know, now again they weren't necessarily midfielders, but he did not like you know put the brakes on like Adama's Adama Traore is the guy that I think of most where. You know, he didn't put the brakes on him in a way that I think a more conservative manager, a guy like Mourinho would have, I think. Um, so there's, like, something to dream on there in terms of, like, maybe he's going to see the talent. Like you said, Ben, maybe he's going to see this talent and just realize what he can do with it. But generally speaking, that's where I get afraid with Nuno, is that he's just not going to utilize these guys and sort of realize that they can do uglier things that... Um, he needs them to do as opposed to sort of utilize them in a way that makes sense. What what does your cat think, Ben? What is what is uh what does that little kitty think of Nuno? Rory's excited. He he doesn't look excited. No, she's she does not look excited, sorry. <laughs> she appeared very angry the whole time that, that you had her in your arms. Um yeah, not a very affectionate cat. You know, uh I I I think the problem is is we just don't know what this is going to look like. And and honestly, it'll be interesting. The thing I'm most interested to see is we do have friendlies against Chelsea and Arsenal this summer. And we will all three kind of be in the same position where, you know, maybe we don't have all our players that were in the Euros or the Copa necessarily back yet. Um, and... And we're all kind of trying to, well, I mean, with the exception of Arsenal, where, you know, those three clubs are in the first real preseason under their managers. Um, And so I'm I'm interested to see where everybody is. Well, Arsenal might have a new manager by the time they... They they might, they might. (laughs) You know, if they're going to keep losing to Scottish teams. Um, So so I'm interested to see. And, And I think that Nuno will have to at least try some of the things that he wants to actually do in the season in those two games. Like, you know, as interested as I am to see how we line up against Leighton Orient and and what we do, I don't think that is going to be particularly instructive for us. I mean, you know, just based on the quality of the opposition. But even if we go out and play, you know, half of Chelsea's reserves and some of their under 21s that's a little bit better of an indication of 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 what we are planning to do and how we're going to do things it's yeah you're right it's not going to be super instructive but at least we'll start to get an idea of of what's going to happen which will be you know again it's like at least for now that's that's exciting it's better than you know, what we've been, you know, it's, it certainly can't be any worse than what we had last year, he says, knocking on wood. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see what he does, even if I'm a little afraid of what he's going to do. But, like, I'm really worried he's just going to confirm all of our sort of worst fears early in the season, and it's going to be another slog. I mean, this is, this is the time to dream and believe. Like, this is the best part of the season. Before reality hits and you actually have to accept what Spurs actually are. This is the moment as a fan that you can just let your imagination run wild and just get excited and be happy and with no consequences. Like it's just just have fun with it in your own brain and just think about all the good things that can happen. And that's exciting because the season is always going to be a disappointment no matter how good we are. It's just never going to live up to like that possibility that we envision for ourselves. So, yeah, I'm I'm excited to go through the next few weeks kind of seeing these like dribs and drabs of information and bits from training and bits from preseason friendlies. And I don't know, like, you know, I remember this summer when we saw Eric Dyer playing as like a defensive midfielder and, you know, we'd all known that like that was a big hole in the Pochettino squad. And to think, Oh, maybe we solved that with our young center back who barely played last season. And that was fun to just sort of like imagine those possibilities. And I didn't feel, I feel like I lost that last summer, that capacity to like believe in this team being better. And like, that's kind of where I want to be now is just live in that space of, yeah, where you have friendlies against Chelsea and Arsenal and who knows what it's going to mean, but like it could mean everything 
or it could mean that. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just. What what, what will we take away from from uh, from Skip dribbling past Willie as he eats a donut in the middle of the field? <laughs> I mean, and then basically a month from today, we're going to get waxed by Man City. So, you know. I mean, yeah, but who knows? Who knows? Maybe they, maybe Pep will be completely unprepared for what Nuno's going to throw at him. I don't know. Like, I mean, last year, the best time to play City was early in the season, so. Yeah, maybe De Bruyne won't be healthy yet. Maybe uh, Hoiberg can just punch him in the face again. Like, you know. I think a month from today we're going to be complaining that Daniel Levy didn't get his transfers done in time to prepare everybody for the first game of the season. But, you know. But in a month, once everybody hits the ground running and gets bedded in, look out. Here comes Tottenham Hotspur. Once everyone comes back from the Euros is what you mean. But, yeah, it's we'll see. I don't know. I, I want this team to just not be a just, – I just don't want them to be a slog to talk about every week. I want to like, I want to enjoy watching them. I want to enjoy talking to my friends about them, even if they're not like. I don't need a team that's going to finish second and like get to a Champions League semifinal because that's definitely not going to happen this year. But like, I just need them to be like kind of fun to watch and give me something to dream on, like you said. And hopefully, do that during the season where it's like, boy, these players are coming up, or boy, if they really start to assemble this, you know, it could be something cool. Uh, I'm not convinced we're going to see that, but right now I'm going to pretend that's something that could happen. So, Ben, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at ComradeUspers. And Brian, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. You can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. That's double O as in... Brian with a Y. I don't know. I'm sorry. I lost that one, guys. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. And you can find our podcast on Twitter at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. For Ben, for Brian, and of course for Brett Rainbow, I have been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs. <laughs>